Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is Owen Jones. This is the Cheerful Election Podcast. All right, guys. Real talk, 14 days until the general election. <gasps> I've, well, I'm going to explain. You might have heard a sound there. I'm going to explain in a moment. If you like this podcast, please leave some stars, leave some love, leave some affection, some adoration. You don't have to do that. Just it helps other people watch it if listen to it, not watch it. They're not watching me. Look, I'm here with Asaka, all right? <laughs> Hi. Hi, yeah. She's being attacked by my cat at the moment, so it's a slightly traumatic experience. Yeah, no, it is. Um, I mean, this is why I feel a sense of dread and fear anytime you invite me. Not just... Anywhere. Like, the door closes and then suddenly claws come out and they're being ripped to shreds. <laughs> and, then, and then there's my cats as well. And then there's your cats as well. <laughs> How are we doing, Ash? One to ten. How are you? Where are we at? Okay, so I feel completely, absolutely disoriented because I've been working through the weekends, been on the campaign trail. You bloody well have. Been bouncing between appearing alongside Telegraph columnists who are better described as Pravda for the home counties <laughs> spokespeople and, you know, being out on the road, door knocking, talking to people, seeing how the campaign's going. So I could not tell you where I am, what day it is. Is it got to the point? I don't know how you feel in because uh, this is quite quite an intense period of our life, and it's kind of in you know because it feels like just an existential struggle in lots of ways. But it, it feels like your body gives you these IOUs, which is I will let you exhaust yourself and drain yourself, but you're going to pay back. It feels um, like I have taken a mild amphetamine and I just feel like that all the time and I had to give up uh, coffee because I drank like my usual like half cafetiere in the morning and I felt like the bit in Carmen Eileen where it slows down and speeds up I was like this is not pleasant this is not fun so so last night you released their MRP polling this is the kind of this is how to explain it's not actually a poll it's this it's a model you explain actually okay so what mrp polling does is that it takes national polling and it projects it downwards at a constituency by constituency basis based on demographics and and yeah and from that model they were able to predict a hung parliament in 2017 when no one else did and currently they are predicting a tory majority of how much so they're predicting according to last night's figures that tories would win 359 seats and labor would win 211 seats (laughs) but this is the cheerful podcast and i will give you some reasons to be cheerful well can i give one quickly yeah Informed sources tell me, Ooh. and you think this is bad, this, this polling, you might think, well, well, Erin, you, you've, you've certainly missold this podcast. Shaked it these, there, mate. <laughs> but um, informed spot sources have told me that Labour's polling, according to this model, has gone up, because the MRP is going on all the time, has gone up by a few percentage points. And actually, if this trajectory continued for uh, until next week, 
then there would be a hung parliament if there was an election next week, which thankfully there isn't. So the trajectory, it, it looks terrible. It's good job MLP didn't come out last week because a lot of us would be rocking in a field position, dribbling quite heavily. But the trajectory is actually heading in a far more positive direction, you'd think. And it's important to remember that MRP is not Allah. It cannot tell you what is going to happen on polling day. What it can tell you is where the campaign is at right now. And so what that does is that it gives you a useful idea of how strategy might change as time goes on. So what the MRP polling is showing is that the Lib Dem squeeze is happening, but perhaps not quite fast enough. So Labour are really going to have to beef up their social progressive offer, which appeals to internationalist Remainers. That's one thing. Second thing that the Tories are going to have to worry about is that they've squeezed the Brexit party as much as they are capable of squeezing it. So they've got nowhere to go but down. And that's going to be a real worry if Labour is on that upward trajectory. Other things which MRP doesn't measure and cannot measure is the impacts of voter registration. There's been huge numbers of, in particular, young people registering to vote. And I can't tell you this for certain. I'm going by my gut. Those hundreds of thousands of young people are not registering so they can vote for Boris Johnson. I just don't think that that's what's going oh, on. Oh, come here. off it. Have you not met all these 22-year-olds with Boris Johnson T-shirts? Yeah, those are the ones that I used to... Toy membership cards. Those are the ones that I used to bully at sixth form for bringing in a briefcase <laughs> instead of a backpack. Um, and the other thing that it cannot mention and cannot foresee is what a get-out-the-vote operation will be like on the day. So Momentum has cut its teeth in a few election campaigns now. And really what it's looking to do is replicate that model which delivered the Peterborough by-election earlier this year, which is flood key constituencies with activists who are armed with really robust data about where their vote is. And the reason why Momentum are able to do that, the reason why the Labour Party and the Labour movement will generally is able to do that is because they've got a young, active and populous membership base to draw from, which the Tories simply can't do. So they've got a very efficient get-out-the-vote operation. Now, that doesn't mean that all of these ingredients add up to and Labour majorities end up bad. Anything can happen between now and the 12th of December. But these are factors which simply are not reflected in polling. So, you know, if you're leaning out the window thinking, I've got nothing left to live for, you're wrong. Don't be dumb. But the other challenge that's really interesting is the polling, this MRP model um, shows that the Lib Dems would win one more seat than they won last time round. The problem is that the Lib Dems are still at a level where they're splitting the anti-Tory vote in key constituencies enough to allow the Tories to come through the middle, which will mean hard Brexit by the end of January. But the other big thing, and this is quite an interesting, it's not exactly something which has been part of the consensus narrative, what the polling, sh- the MRP model shows is Labour's big weakness is in leave areas. Oh. It's leave voters and leave constituencies that Labour are on course to lose. Um, it shows Labour doing quite well in Remain seats. It shows what the polling, the headline mm-hmm. polling shows, which is Remainers are coming back to Labour. But it shows Labour at risk of losing seats like Bolsover, which in theory is a healthy Labour majority. Dennis Skinner is the is the MP who's been the MP there since 1970 to the Conservatives. Equally, other seats like Ashfield, which Labour only clung on to last time, I was there this week, 
where it suggests again uh, uh, that what the evidence suggests is defections to the Brexit party and the Tories from Labour leavers is what's allowing the Tories to win. The same again in public polling, Great Grimsby, Labour's hold that seat since World War II. So the danger is at the moment that, yes, the squeeze on the Lib Dems has to continue, but actually... For those who said, and we both supported, and I stand by it, shifting towards a referendum, mm-hmm. and if Labour hadn't have done that, Labour would have gone into the election below the Lib Dems. Mm-hmm. But, and then it would have been just, that would have been the end of everything. But, I'd be inviting Joe Swinson to nuke me at that point. <laughs> nuke your hamster. <laughs> but, uh, Google that if you don't know what we're talking about. Squirrel. But, squir- oh, squirrels! Not hamsters. Well, do you know what her policy on hamsters is? She's never mentioned it. She's never outright rejected the mass murder of hamsters she pushes that nuclear button there'll be a lot of dead hamsters i think we can all agree on that but i've it, never heard someone say yes to something so quickly <laughs> like would you nu- yes yeah exactly. yes yes there's a video someone's done which has uh it superimposes it over uh images from the infamous uh drama threads which is set made in the early 30s showing Sheffield during the nuclear war. Anyway, it's pretty grim. So on the Labour Leave thing, because I'm going to pivot slightly to another thing, which is on the Labour Leave thing, so we know actually that a lot of Labour Leavers don't give as much priority to Brexit elsewhere, but a lot of them do feel angry because they feel disrespected. But actually, when you say to them about, do you trust the Tories of the NHS, for example, and, you know, on domestic policies to public ownership, they're economically on the left, they tend to be socially conservative. But on the NHS, they don't trust it. So what do we think about these NHS revelations and what that means for the campaign? So these unredacted documents, which Corbyn revealed with a great deal of drama yesterday, I mean, that was a revealing of the receipts which Kim Kardashian herself would be proud of. (laughs) Like the sense of theatre, the pageantry, the panache. Oh my God. Um, What they showed is that the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, is either mistaken or more likely lying when he says that the NHS is not part of any trade negotiation with the US. In fact, what these documents show is that one, total market access to UK public sectors is the baseline for trade talks between the UK and the US. And that means that the NHS, which is doing a pretty good job of protecting our healthcare market from price gouging from unscrupulous American companies will be expected to weaken itself before the altar of American capital in order to get this trade deal through. The other thing that this document shows is that the specifics of drug pricing has been discussed at a high level between UK officials and the US, and significant progress had been made. I'm just pushing the cat away from the microphone. A mug trying to just have his own little It's actually a CIA agent trying to... I think um, he is. I think Rick Minnis, carry on though. I think he is though, carry on. um, Just sabotage. I mean, listen mate, this isn't a Latin American country. Get out of here. (laughs) No sabotage for you. Um, The other thing that it shows is that yes, drug prices have been discussed with the NHS being able to access cheaper generic drugs rather than the patented versions being of a particular problem 
to the US. And then you've also got um, the US insistence that food labeling regarding safety standards is something which they feel is detrimental to their in- interests. Because then obviously we're not eating like pink slime and, you know, ground up chicken feet and whatnot. Um, and also that climate change and any reference to the reduction of carbon emissions cannot be mentioned in a trade deal. So the US are pros when it comes to asymmetric trade negotiations. That's what the US does best. They are as good at asymmetric, unjust trade negotiations as Beyonce is at hitting, you know, a three-octave range, all right? (laughs) That is what they do. And the idea that the UK, when it has taken itself out of the European Union on a hard Brexit basis, which is Boris Johnson's deal, when we've absorbed that kind of shock to our economy, when we either have a bare bones deal or a no deal with the EU, which is what the EU have said will happen at the end of the implementation period, that we will be in a strong negotiating position, that we can defend the juiciest prize from the clause of American capital is a fantasy. It is plainly a fantasy. So that's why I say what these documents show is that either Boris Johnson does not know what is going on, and I find that very difficult to believe, or he is lying. He is lying to the British public. He is lying to leave voters. He's lying to remain voters, and he's lying to you. He's lying. So a couple of other things. So we know about the whole uh, Jamie Corbyn, Andrew Neal interview this week, but something quite, quite, I think quite shocking has come out, which is that... Labour were told that a date had been set for Boris Johnson to be interviewed by Andrew Neil next week. No such date has been agreed. There is no date agreed between the Conservatives and the BBC on this issue, which the BBC's producer, political producer, boasted had made the front pages uh, of almost every British newspaper the day after, um, which obviously wouldn't happen the other way around anyway, because almost all of the British press support the Conservative Party. If if this is a mistake, and already the LBC political uh, editor says this is potentially very serious for the BBC, because obviously it will mean that Boris Johnson could evade the most intense scrutiny of, of this election campaign. I mean, all the mistakes they make don't... They always... They always help the Conservatives in this election campaign. Well, what do you think about this whole thing? Well, this is Britain. So obviously we are supposed to subscribe to the theory that when something goes wrong, it's a cock-up rather than a conspiracy. <clears throat> Even if it's the same cock-up again and again, involving the same faces and benefiting the same set of people. Because what you have to do when you enter the chumocracy which is British political media, is that you have to voluntarily lobotomize yourself. So you're incapable of either observing, identifying or articulating the patterns which are plainly in front of you. The patterns which are plainly in front of you, which only uh, hardline conspiracy theorists would dare to articulate, is that there is a pattern of behavior at the BBC which benefits the Conservative Party and is to the detriment of the Labour Party. And it is a pattern of behaviour that we see again and again. But that's conspiratorial nonsense. I, I regret saying and of it. Of course, of course. I mean, it's nothing untoward here. The that rustling you can hear is my tinfoil hat. So there's been a lot of discussion this week about Labour and anti-Semitism. And 
It's a complex one, this. I was on Politics Live this week. I was invited on and did not know the Chief Rabbi's comments. Would you be... looked like you had fun. Yeah, it was a great time for me <laughs> and all involved. Uh, very balanced panel. Um, anyway, but um, how do we talk about this as an issue without... Because the problem is... You know, in terms of, and both of us have spoken out about where we uh, have criticised Labour on anti-Semitism for not getting a handle of it. And at the same time, you know, we've got a Tory government which has deported black Windrush Britons, led by a man who uh, quite literally single-handedly led to a surge in hate crimes against Muslims because of the comments about... How do we talk about this? What about it is the thing. It's distracting okay. and racism becoming about party politics rather than about the pandemic racism of of British society and the government we have. I mean, so the first thing I've got to say is that it's impossible to have an honest conversation about racism in this country. It is impossible to have an honest conversation because when you try and talk about it within a contextualised setting where you talk about colonialism, when you talk about Britain's own history of anti-Semitism, when you talk about anti-blackness, when you talk about slavery, well... This is just raking up the past. It's guilt. Why are you talking about any of this? It doesn't affect anyone's lives today. That wail you can hear is, in fact, Niall Ferguson at the window saying, How dare you? <laughs> He's a historian with very, very, very problematic views on these issues. Carry on. How dare you? Um, and so you, you are dismissed when you try and explain it from that lens. When you then talk about the sort of lowest common denominator idea of racism, where someone literally has to call you a slur to your face, you then have all these excuses about how, well, racism's so ugly and violent that they couldn't have possibly meant the thing that they said. So when they said packy, well, they just, you know, they're old fashioned. They thought that was just a shortening for Pakistani. Or when they said coloured, you know, that was just an old fashioned way because they didn't know that the term is people of colour. When someone uses a phrase like N word in the wood, in the wood pile, which is a phrase I didn't even know existed until all these old money racists come crawling out the woodwork. That was a Tory MP. Anne Marie Morris. Um, again, she gets the whip restored and it's as if nothing ever happened. The, crisis around anti-semitism is not just the crisis of uh bigoted people within labor ranks who have expressed that bigotry mostly through social media but also occasionally in real life as well it is a crisis of a fundamentally dishonest political culture which can only understand racism as a means to delegitimize one particular political party. That's why anti-Semitism in the Tory party is never discussed. And when Islamophobia in the Tory party is discussed, and it's because there have been some of us who have been banging our head up against the wall trying to have this story be heard, it's only ever. How many times have you been invited on the media to talk about it? Oh, that's tricky. Zero. Zero. And the reason why I've been told that I am not invited onto the media to discuss Islamophobia in the Tory parties because I'm not right wing and so it would be unfair. But no one ever asks for Jewish people who are rightly speaking out about instances of anti-Semitism within the Labour Party for them to be left wing because their religious identity is enough for them to be considered to have locus standi in the matter, right? So basically a stake in the whole discussion, whereas that doesn't go the other way. And this is the other thing that I want to say, and this is a really difficult thing to say, 
Because the minute you try and articulate this sentence, you're being told you're constructing a hierarchy of racism. And I'm not constructing a hierarchy of racism in terms of importance. I'm not constructing a hierarchy of racism when I'm talking about the pain that you feel when you experience racism. But if you want to talk to me about the material effects of racism, which is your vulnerability to state violence. So are you getting stopped and searched? Are you more likely to be incarcerated? Are you going to be deported even though you're a British citizen? Are you going to be surveilled by the security state in your own place of work? Is your immigration status likely to mean that you cannot get healthcare or you cannot rent a flat or you cannot get benefits? Are you going to be portrayed in the front pages of nearly every tabloid in this country as an existential threat? Well, those things are at the moment, at this point in history, not happening to Jewish people in society. It is having having an effect on Muslim people, on black people, and people who are racialized as migrants, whether or not they are migrants or not. And so the reason why I say that is because the party which has been in charge of all of those things I've just been talking about has been given a free pass on racism. And that's not to say that because of the existence of that state violence, that we should let people within our own ranks off the hook for bigotry, hatred, anti-Semitism, for reproducing conspiracy theories, for the absolute grotesque disgrace that is Holocaust denialism. I'm not suggesting that for one moment. But what I'm saying is that we are unable to describe the truth before our eyes, which is that the main body of racism in this country is being treated as though it is minuscule. And there is a political interest in that. And the political interest is maintaining Tory party power in this country. So finally, what do you say to people in terms of this is the last two weeks now? In two weeks' time, people will be voting in polling stations, millions of people across the country. A lot of people look at the old stacks of gates and think, fuck, what do we do? Feel disempowered. What should people be doing now? Vote for Daddy Jeremy, bitch. What do you mean? We've got two weeks. But what should they do to make that happen? Because a lot of people listening to that will be very, I can't say voting for Daddy Jeremy, bitch. It just doesn't. You just did. I did. I know. I realise I've done it. But what, what can they be doing in a concrete sense? Okay, one, you see that door? Fucking knock on it. All right. You do not have to be a Labour Party member. You do not have to be a Momentum member to go canvassing. And you can use my campaign map if you want to do that. Use social media. And I'm not just talking about Twitter, which is an echo chamber, but post shit on Facebook. Record videos about who you're voting for and why. Post on TikTok, post on Snapchat, post on Instagram. All these things matter. Grinder. Well, yes. Set up a grinder profile, and I know that you can identify Even as if like you're what, straight. you know. No, don't do that. We, uh, no. Top, bottom, verse, or socialist, right? <laughs> Isn't that something you can do? I'm one of them plus socialist, but I wouldn't want to reveal it. Though I bet everyone could guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I think I'd describe myself as what? What do you call it? A pillow queen? I just don't do anything. <laughs> I just sit there checking same, my phone. Same. Just like, is, are we done? Strong agree. Hard agree. Um, so what was Very I hard agree. <laughs> Grinder for Corbyn. That's what we were just talking about. Um, <laughs> and the other thing that you should do is, if you can, and if you're able to, and you can take a few days or a week or even two weeks off work to volunteer and campaign full time, do it. Because I don't want to wake up on Friday 13th of December going, what more could I have done? Friday the 13th. 
I don't want to wake up thinking, what more could I have done? I want to have left it all out on the pitch. I want to go balls to the wall on this one. Ash, you're a little superstar, aren't you? I know, it's been said. Lots of love. You've, we've both got to go now. Yeah, I've got to go. I've got You've to go got to do, do something very wholesome. I've got to go do yoga. I'm doing something called power flow, which sounds like a particularly heavy period, but it's not. It's just like quite hardcore strength building yoga. <laughs> and then you got to fight for socialism on television, so you need to go. Da, 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 da. Lots of love, everyone. Bye. I will speak to you tomorrow. Bye. Bye-bye. Election Daily is produced by the cheerful team, including Jeff Lloyd, Emma Corsham, Joe Kenyon and Joel Pierce with music from Pete Frazier. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.